The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 633 for July 29th, 2018. Qualcomm ends its bid to acquire NXP, Verizon announces its own VPN, and Android P enters its final preview beta. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, a quick comment before we get into the news about a change Apple has made in the recent iOS 11.4.1 update. So we've talked about USB restricted mode in the past, and uh, my guess is most of the people listening to the show have never run across actually what it does. So was in a family member's car this week and wanted to stream um, a baseball game and didn't want to pair to the Bluetooth. So I just plugged in a lightning cable to the USB port in the car. Now, initially, the uh, audio kicked on right away. Everything seemed to work fine. Uh, but then after about a minute or exactly a minute, uh, it cut out uh, and uh, you had to go back in and manually select the input on the screen of the car, and then it would uh, connect again and play for another minute. Now, after doing this about five times uh, and just saying, okay, maybe I'm not going to do this, I thought to myself, there's got to be something related to USB restricted mode here. So had you unlocked your device and uh, did it prompt you for trusting this interface or anything like that? Nothing like that happened. So it was, I, I had the, the phone itself was, was on, was in the Major League Baseball application uh, and uh, plugged it in, plugged it into the car um, and uh, had it playing. And again, was playing just fine. Uh, I even tried having the screen on, but no, nothing was prompted or, or anything like that. And my guess is because it was a quote unquote dumb device, it's a car and not like a computer or something, uh, it, it, it doesn't ask for you to, to have that trustworthiness of the device. The strange thing is it's supposed to take effect after an hour. Yeah, well, so the point was it was uh, it, it hit me that this USB restricted mode was was the issue. So I went into the settings uh, on the iPhone and uh, did a quick search for USB for restricted. None of those things came up there. It was completely unapparent as to what was going on. So I did some quick Googling for it and, and then I did find it. But what's so crazy is where this is found. So under settings, you then go to face ID and passcode, uh, which of course is the most unintuitive place that this could possibly be. Uh, and then way at the bottom, uh, you say allow access when locked. And there's, there's an option for USB accessories. So, and then there's actually a, a dialogue underneath that says turn off to prevent USB accessories from connecting when your iPhone has been locked. And here's your, your to your point, Joey, for more than one hour. Uh, but it didn't, it, that was not at all the case, of course, because of um, the what I'm explaining here. Uh, but it was, uh, as soon as I did that, sure enough, it worked just fine. I had no problems with it. Yeah, and uh, I, I know those settings, what you're talking about, the searching, the settings. I think about three or four of the 2,000 settings are actually in that search. That is the biggest joke that hasn't worked for years uh, in iOS for the setting search. It just doesn't work. They don't index almost all the settings that are in there. So it's exceptionally frustrating when you know a setting exists and you can't even search for it, even though they provide a search interface for it. So uh, also this weekend, uh, I had, I think, possibly the USB restricted mode uh, interrupted my uh, tethering because I've got a USB tether uh, on my iPhone it was connected for over 24 hours and at around the 24 hour state it stopped working uh, when I 
uh, unlocked the device, it prompted again with that trust interface uh, where you have to type your whole passcode in to get it to uh, to trust the interface. And then the, the hotspot uh, kicked off again. But that was uh, something that I don't remember happening before either. It is an interesting uh, change that they've made here. And obviously, we know the reasons why for the, the security and the privacy of your device to keep it, um, you know, to keep that that restricted, so to speak. Uh, but it, it's one of those things where you don't necessarily run into it a lot as the you know, general user of a device. Um, but I was thinking, you know, somebody who might be traveling for the summer might try and plug in their iPhone to a rental car, as an example, because they don't want to pair the Bluetooth to stream music or something. Uh, this might pop up and, you know, you're listening to this show because you care about technology and you care about mobile devices. And so you would have probably had the wherewithal to Google what the problem was and figure it out. And, you know, you'd know about USB restricted mode, et cetera. But the, the average user, this is what got me thinking, the average user is going to have no idea what's going on and just think that uh, either the cable is bad or something's wrong with the car uh, or the phone connection's weak or something like that. It has nothing to do with any of those. It's just a, a specific setting in the device. And it's on by default now. That's right. It is on by default, clearly. Uh, so uh, just kind of something to think about next time you go and uh, happen to find yourself uh, with an issue because you've plugged it in via a cable. Uh, check that out, USB restricted mode under settings and then face ID uh, on an iPhone or an iPad. And then that's where you're going to find the USB accessories option under there. Well, first in the news this week, Qualcomm on Monday announcing new antennas that will bring millimeter wave and sub six gigahertz 5G to mobile devices such as smartphones. The QTM 052 millimeter wave module and QPM 5XX sub six gigahertz RF module are compact enough that they're now suitable for phones. Qualcomm says the QTM 052 millimeter wave module works together with the X50 to overcome some of the technical hurdles that previously kept millimeter wave from mobile design such as thermals and regulatory requirements for radiated power. The new modules support beam forming, beam steering, and beam tracking to improve the range and reliability of millimeter wave signals. The modules also contain the 5G NR transceiver, power management circuit, RF front end, and phased antenna array. They uh, say the module can handle up to 800 megahertz of bandwidth in the 26 to 29 gigahertz, 27 to 28 gigahertz, and 37 to 40 gigahertz bands. The modules are also small enough that they will uh, four of them can fit inside the phone giving the makers more flexibility when it comes to the design qualcomm expects to see phones with millimeter wave 5g nr to reach the market in the first half of 2019 the qpm 5xx sub 6 gigahertz rf module consists of that family of antennas compatible with uh, that support uh, we'll be seeing all of these uh, sampling to customers over the next few months and ultimately in devices here before too long in other Qualcomm news, the chipmaker on Thursday said it will drop its plans to purchase China-based NXP by, uh, at the end of the day, uh, which also led to the acquisition agreement expiring. Qualcomm first announced its intent to buy NXP, make makers of semiconductors, back in October of 2016. Qualcomm had been awaiting the approval from China antitrust regulators and had not yet received it. Uh, when the agreement expired, Qualcomm will would then be on the hook for a $2 billion termination fee that was uh, required to be paid to NXP. Uh, the original deal was valued at approximately $44 billion. The Chinese government has said why it's refused to approve the deal um, in its most recent financial quarter. Qualcomm ranked its $5.6 billion, uh, brought in, that is, of revenue and shipped 220 million chips. That, of course, generating the vast majority of the revenue for the chip maker. And finally, from Qualcomm, the company also said this week that its recent legal trouble with Apple will have an impact on its business for this year. An 
Apple will also no longer be using Qualcomm chips in its iPhones. Uh, Qualcomm says, we believe Apple intends to solely use our competitors' modems rather than our modems in its next iPhone release. Uh, and this coming from CFO George Davis during a conference call with analysts. He says, we will continue to provide modems for Apple legacy devices. Of course, Apple is one of the top half a dozen Qualcomm customers, and uh, the two have been embroiled in a legal battle over royalties since last year. Uh, the last few iPhones have relied on a both Qualcomm and Intel modems. And uh, the thought is that Intel modems don't perform as well as Qualcomm's in some network environments, though Apple has seemingly chosen Intel for its devices moving forward. So Qualcomm did not always have the iPhone chipset. If you remember, we had uh, uh, basically... It was the mid-cycle of the iPhone 4 when Verizon finally got uh, the iPhone, and that was the very first Qualcomm chipset in in an iPhone, and that was able to support the CDMA network at that time, and that was kind of a, a big deal then, and they've been with Qualcomm basically ever since that time uh, with the iPhone 4S and then going forward, but now obviously they're, they're changing uh probably due to the legal battles and of course they don't want to pay that much money to Qualcomm and now there's some competitive chipsets that are working from Intel and maybe even Broadcom again. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of competition at this point though. Um, at the same time, there's there's nothing that performs quite as well, and clearly Qualcomm knows that. Uh, but uh, I think what we're going to find is uh, you know the, the just because one device maker is not using their chips isn't going to mean um, you know a significant impact uh, on um, their business. But it is going to be material. There is going to be some impact, and that's what they're coming out with. And they need their investors to know ahead of time. Hey, Apple's no longer going to be using these, and so we're going to see an impact on what our overall revenue is for this quarter. Right. And I think Apple's probably playing a little bit uh, slightly of a longer term game here as well, because they're probably thinking, OK, we've got next generation networks coming and maybe with our weight behind it, we can have uh, either they're going to design their own chips to use the new networks and they're going to get, you know, because obviously Qualcomm has a lot of patents around uh, the current technology that's out there. And now that we're starting to move to newer networks, Apple's probably trying to position themselves much further away from Qualcomm and all the patents they have on existing networks and try to try to get to newer, uh, you know, newer technologies and companies that that can work with this where they have their own patents on it. So that's what I, I, I have a feeling Apple's trying to do. And, you know, the, the next generation networks is, is really where a lot of the conversation has been. We've been talking about, um, you know, kind of the, the consumer side of it for the last few months on where's going, you know, what cities are going to see the, the trial markets, the test markets are, that are going to come out first and whatnot. Um, but when you think about the, the complexity of what is happening here with these new networks, it, it's absolutely staggering. You've got um, a significant number of, of new bands that have never been used for mobile technologies that are going to be coming online. You've got the refarming of spectrum that has uh, been utilized for other technologies for uh, over a decade now. And all of it coming together in a device that is the same size or potentially even smaller than what you have today. Uh, and it's just, it's absolutely fascinating. And so there's there's a lot that goes into the, the overall you know, technology and uh, chipset infrastructure configurations. And so they've got to, they've got to make sure that they're pushing forward with this here. And, and Apple's to your point is, uh, is trying to, I'm sure be on the forefront of a lot of this and they can't, uh, they can't wait around for something like this to, you know, to get resolved. And so they're just pushing it through, uh, pushing forward with uh, saying, we're going to use different, uh, different chips and we can't, we can't come to a resolution with Qualcomm. So, so be it, we'll move on. 
So one thing I've never liked about Qualcomm ever in, in all the phones, even dating back, you know, 15, you know, probably 15 years now, uh, it, it seems like they always get hot if there's a low signal. They, they get warm and they get hot and they just, they, they feel hot. And it was, phones were never like that until they had the Qualcomm chips in them. And uh, uh, even the iPhones, uh, you know, the older ones, I don't remember getting them as hot as they did once they finally switched to Qualcomm. But that's just a, a personal complaint and I may be totally wrong about it, but it always just seems to be the case. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you're in a low signal strength, the, the uh, you know, the chip is, uh, or the antennas are transmitting at a higher power, uh, the chip it is, through the antenna. Uh, and uh, so ultimately, it's going to be using more power, generating more heat, etc. Um, but uh, I think there's a, uh, you know, if you if you think about what the, the chipset is actually then doing, it's ramping up to, you know, maintain the coverage that it has, or, or at least some semblance of uh, coverage. Um, there's also the, the whole thing about, you know, when you go out of service and it has to, over kind of a sequence, an algorithm, keep checking for service. And, uh, you know, they've been sued for that in the past as well on, on, the, on that process. But um, there is, there's a lot to, uh, that goes into this. And uh, ultimately, this is just, you know, one piece of a puzzle uh, for the future uh, of our devices that we use each and every day. Well, well, next up, Sony on Monday announcing the IMX586. This is a CMOS camera sensor for phones uh, with 48 megapixels and a unit that measures only 8 millimeters. The pixels of the sensor have been shrunk to uh, 8UM, which is what allows for them so many of them to fit on a single sensor. Uh, typically, packing together so many uh, such a large number of pixels would generate noise and cause low light performance to suffer. But Sony says using the quad Bayer color filter array, the adjacent 2x2 two two pixels all capture the same color, raising the sensitivity in order to create brighter images with less noise. Uh, the higher pixel count allows for clearer photos when using digital zoom. Uh, the uh, chipset can create, uh, or the camera module can create 4K videos at 90 frames per second, 1080p at 240 frames per second, and 780p video at 480 frames per second. The price of the module suggested at $27, and it is sampling now and expects to commence production later this year. Samsung Display this week said that it has developed an unbreakable smartphone panel and that the panel has been certified by the underwriter's laboratories. The flexible OLED panel has an unbreakable substrate with an overlay window adhered to the front. The underwriter's laboratory says the panel surpasses military specs and it can handle repeated drops from 1.2 meters on its edges, as well as extreme high up to 170 degrees Fahrenheit and low negative 26 degree Fahrenheit temperatures. The display panel was also dropped from 1.8 meters with no damage. Samsung says the OLED panel will be used in smartphones, in-car displays, military devices, portable game consoles, and tablets. They said the fortified plastic window is especially suitable for portable electronic devices, not only because of the unbreakable characteristics, but also because of its lightweight uh, transmissivity and hardness, all of which are similar to glass. Uh, the Samsung did not say when the unbreakable OLED panel will reach devices. Verizon on Tuesday said that Houston will join L.A. and Sacramento as one of its launch markets for 5G later this year. Houston uh, has will be a fixed residential 5G broadband service. Uh, Verizon is testing a number of different technologies for the new network, including millimeter wave. Um, and uh, as we heard a few minutes ago, phones with 5G may reach the market as soon as the first half of 2019, thanks to Qualcomm's latest chipsets. AT&T has also said its first mobile 5G device will be a puck or mobile hotspot. 
Verizon this week announced Safe Wi-Fi. This is a virtual private network that can protect customers when they connect to public hotspots. Verizon says SafeVPN relies on bank-grade encryption to help protect against ad tracking as well as help block targeted ads. SafeVPN is available uh, for uh, $3.99 per month and covers up to 10 devices per account. First month is free. It's compatible with both Android and iOS. Now, uh, this is uh, something I was thinking about as uh, the announcement came out because... As uh, someone who uses a VPN for his uh, for work for enterprise, uh, Joey, both you and I uh, are very familiar with VPNs, uh, but have relative control over them. At least we know where the traffic is going. Um, in the case of Verizon offering a service, uh, certainly they are then encrypting the traffic end to end. But they the one end of that is through their servers and potentially could you know uh, receive uh, and uh, you know pull out any of that traffic and use that you know for its own purposes as well. But then it got me thinking: Can't they already do that already? Aren't they using um, the the DNS that you're using? Isn't that going through as an example of Verizon already? And so, what's the difference here with what they're doing? Pretty much. Yeah, you're exactly right. And you're probably safer with them in a VPN than you are in a public hotspot by far, because there's, uh, depending on the public hotspot is set up, some of them can be set up where your traffic is actually isolated from the rest of the people that are there, let's just say at a coffee shop. But if it's not, you may be able to see everybody's traffic and they can all see yours. And then, of course, they can be impersonated by, you know, somebody who's malicious. And of course, it makes it look like you're on their hotspot, but basically somebody's just capturing all of your packets. Uh, but of course, now with with more and more encryption being used uh, today, like Chrome this week now says every uh, you know uh, every website that is not secure it, it gives you a big warning now. With that uh, in place now, the the chance of eavesdropping is definitely a lot lower than it used to be. But it's still something that it's uh, something to watch out for. But you're I think you're absolutely right, Mickey. Yeah, and I guess the the point is is if you're someone who's using a lot of public Wi-Fi, it's probably worth your time to do uh, invest in some sort of VPN. Um, you know, I would uh, I, I never I should say never, but highly advise against using public Wi-Fi unless you absolutely have to. Um, you know, if you've got a if you're using a device that doesn't have built-in uh, LTE, I would say you know tethering is always a best a better solution so that it's going over your cellular connection uh, and you're not having to share. Um, you know, your, your data with others. But uh, if you have to use a VPN, it's uh, f- makes for safer computing. And uh, if you don't know where to go, Verizon now has an option for you at $4 per month. Uh, in uh, software news, because no device news this week, uh, Google on Wednesday releasing Android P beta version 4, what it's calling the final preview of P before the operating system is fully released. Android P adds notifications for messaging, image previews and notifications, and creates selectable auto-responses. A new API gives developers more power over devices with a dual rear or front-facing camera. Android P also makes significant improvements to indoor tracking and adopts a new version of the Neural Networks API for more AI-based operations. Android P makes multiple improvements to the autofill framework, including uh, unified fingerprint authentication dialogues and higher assurance user confirmations for better security. Uh, makes, uh, it also makes it easier for developers to add accessibility features to their apps and ensures that Android P devices will be able to decode various image types. Android P is compatible with the Google Pixel, Pixel XL, Pixel 2, Pixel 2 XL, uh, and uh, Google expects final versions of Android P to be available later this summer. In other software news, Google is now calling out websites, as Joey just mentioned, that don't use HTTPS for security. Google announcing in February that Chrome 68 would begin highlighting insecure websites, and that is now rolling out to all users, and the web browser now proactively labeling websites that don't make use of encryption. 
The end goal is to encourage web developers to add HTTPS to their websites, which will improve security for everyone. HTTPS traffic is encrypted to protect uh, against people from seeing it, while regular HTTP traffic is not. According to Google, over 76% of Chrome traffic on Android is now protected, while over 86% of Chrome traffic on Chrome OS is now protected. Fully, 83 of the top 100 sites on the web use encryption by default. Google said it will adjust Chrome's user interface so users understand which sites are insecure and why they are insecure. It has also simplified its setup guides to help web developers secure their sites with HTTP. Google on Wednesday announcing its new Gmail design is now available to everyone following an early access program that it launched back in April. The new Gmail is still opt-in, but that is going to change over the next few months, and people uh, that use G Suite as well as those using Gmail will be migrated automatically. Google will allow people to continue to opt out of the new Gmail design for another 12 weeks or through October when all users will be migrated to the new setup. Uh, The new Gmail has a refreshed design with features including nudge, news and scam notifications. It will also help people unsubscribe from newsletters and make it easier to view attachments. The new Gmail is already available to Android and iOS devices should users wish to upgrade. Questions and comments this week. Uh, We've got two, and they're both from Joseph. First one is a question, and he says, In my sponsored Facebook feed, I've gotten promotions for Freedom Pop, where they advertise a free trial. Afterwards, they give you two gigabytes of LTE data with unlimited minutes and unlimited texts. For $29.99, they give you three gigabytes a month with unlimited texts and voice minutes. And there's another plan, the basic LTE 200 with 200 megabytes and 200 minutes and 500 texts. But anyway, just wondering what the catches since these rates appear to be a lot better than what the major carriers such as Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile offer. Have you ever uh, looked into it and what's your take on it, Joseph? Well, Joseph, first off, as an MVNO, um, they offer the service at a discount uh, to what the major carriers do, of course, to entice people to subscribe. Um, the uh, the ratings that you'll find from users of Freedom Pop are fairly good if you go around uh, the, the various sites out there. Um, they talk about responsive customer service uh, and generally um, the only poor comments that you're going to see are ones regarding call quality. Uh, I saw a couple that talked about SIM cards arriving pre-activated and there being a security issue there. Uh, but generally, uh, it, for most people spending their time in major cities, uh, you're going to be able to take advantage of a service like this and have pretty much the same level of service that you would with one of the major carriers. Right. So the catch is, is that these companies are uh, basically buying, uh, kind of, the, they're buying least access from the the carrier, and what you're missing out on are roaming agreements, and you're missing out on their customer service, which, of course, in many cases, that's probably you're probably not, in fact, missing out, and in fact, you could probably get better service. Uh, of course, the service of NVNO is very drastically depending on what what how the company operates and of course you know how many representatives they have or if there's you know an issue going on you may take a lot longer to get resolved but that's the catch so it's uh roaming agreements could make things difficult as far as depending on where you travel but the basic network that they use is going to be what you're on primarily so uh for example this week my friend uh, messaged me asking about total wireless from target $57 for two lines with 15 gigs of shared data. That's a fabulous deal for, uh, and they use the Verizon network. And that's, you know, that's the deals that are out there on prepaid. So it really does uh, pay to uh, look at these carriers to see if they will work for you. 
And uh, to that point, though, what you're what you're not getting is you're not getting uh, access to those roaming agreements. So if you happen to uh, visit an area that uh, doesn't have service, you're going to be out of luck. Um, and this is uh, is something that's happening less and less. But um, you're you're going to know if that's something that affects you. Uh, I know I've got a particular area that I visit approximately. Uh, one week a year that has no T-Mobile service. And so I do have AT&T access there. Uh, but I, if I were to use an MVNO, I would not have that. And so I'd have to d- figure out what to do otherwise. Uh, but, uh, and, and ultimately the, the other value add kind of stuff as well, you're not going to get either, whether it's international uh, availability or uh, different, you know, music streaming options and kind of the stuff that they add on. You're just, you're strictly paying just, it's for wireless, that's what you get. Uh, and other than that, it's, it's pretty bare bones. Right. And also tethering, you have to make sure that, you know, you can have access to that if you need it, uh, which may or may not be included. Yeah. There's, so there's there's a handful of things to consider. Um, ultimately, it's probably going to work fine for you if all you're looking for is the ability to make and receive phone calls and use data. Uh, but just think about some of those other things. And that's those are where, again, as Joey mentions, the catches come in. Uh, finally, today's comment from Joseph. Then he says, you've uh, talked about iMessage and how it works and does not work with SMS. Uh, I had related uh, to you previously how if you have no data plan, no access to Wi-Fi, Apple Message does not work. Uh, Apple, of course, um, is uh, using data only with that. Uh, he also says, regarding how iMessage works, I found I, that I get different results with iMessage depending on how uh, messages have been sent. If I send it with my iPhone, I get a different result if I, than if I send with my iPad or MacBook. Sometimes the messages never get there. Uh, I would guess what I'm saying is the iMessage for me has had poor f- performance as far as the delivery of messages. I'm wondering what you guys have found with it. Uh, thanks, Joseph. I, I mean, for me, it's generally been rock solid. I've never had any real specific issues related to delivery. Um, and of course, again, since we're talking about a data only service, this is not something that runs over SMS. If you don't have data or if you don't have access to Wi-Fi, you're not going to be able to uh, send and receive messages over iMessage. Right. So the catch here, I, I think I picked it up, is that using the iPhone to send iMessage, but in in uh, on the iPhone, it's called Messages. And there's a reason for that, because it also handles SMS. There is a setting, of course, and it's on by default, deliver the message via SMS if iMessage is not available. So that's the catch, why it sometimes sends your message out, uh, not over data. You can receive SMS back, but of course you won't receive iMessages back. But you're sending out a SMS, even though it kind of looks like you're sending an iMessage out. So that's probably the trick there. I turn that off because that drove me insane uh, because of the inconsistent behavior. And I do not like inconsistent behavior. So uh, that's something to look for in the settings of messages to see if that's what you have turned on. And that's why you would be able to get messages to go out with the iPhone and not iPad or the Mac. And of course, uh, right before the show, I was messaging somebody on the Mac uh, with iMessage and it kept saying messages not delivered, messages not delivered. I pulled up my iPad and sure enough, there are the messages, you know, because I was hitting retry to send them and they were, you know, every time I hit retry, it was actually sending them and it sent them in the first place. And even though it was telling me they weren't sent, they were in fact sent. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and, and as you explain a couple of those different things, I guess I have experienced them, uh, but they're in very limited cases. Um, you know, at one point I was sending messages on a, uh, a flight. I had access to free messaging on a, on a flight with T-Mobile. And uh, the way that that worked was 
sending the messages over SMS, as as you've pointed out. Uh, So as the person was responding to me, they were responding and they were being sent over as iMessages. And of course, I was not receiving those. So um, it is uh, is not exactly, um, you know, the the quality experience that you you might expect. Um, I was also traveling this week a little bit um, with and using my device on the plane, I should say a little bit. And um, was able to send and receive iMessages just fine over data, of course, uh, and uh, but certainly no uh, text messages were coming through uh, because of what I was using was an iPad and not the iPhone, uh, so I didn't have the T-Mobile Wi-Fi set up. Um, but then what I also realized was that it was uh, I was also still getting notifications for Google Voice because, of course, Google Voice, uh, you get your messages over data on there, and so I was able to keep up with those conversations just fine, didn't have any issues there. But yeah, the inconsistency, to your point, Joey, can be just absolutely infuriating, and uh, if you're not paying attention, uh, you could find yourself with uh, an experience that is uh, less than ideal, shall we say. Uh, Well, that's it for us this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Give us a call at 650-999-0524 or send email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com. 